Welcome to the Stroud Skinstitute podcast, and I'm your host, Cheryl Stroud. Today, I'm with Benjamin Knight Fuchs, a nutritional pharmacist from Colorado. He is a registered pharmacist, nutritionist, and skincare chemist with 35 years of experience developing pharmacy potent skin health products for estheticians, dermatologists, and plastic surgeons, and is founder of Truth Treatment Skincare Products. And expert advice gives licensed estheticians education and skin science to better support their skincare services performed in the treatment room while sharing insights to enhance client at home skincare routines. Ben Fuchs is also a longevity representative, a board member and host of Brightside Ben of the Brightside syndicated radio program. Today, Ben is gonna share some insights on nutritional skincare, both topically and internally. So let's dive in to the exciting things Ben has to share. I yes. saw you on the uh, ASCP Skincare Education Summit. Okay. And you were talking about pigmentation yes. and uh, the stress response. Yeah. It was yes. really intriguing. That's the most important thing to recognize about pigmentation because we, we're in the topical business and we sometimes forget that the topical is. Uh, in the business, we say a sequelae. It's it's a sequel to what's happening inside the body. We're always obsessed with treating things topically, and that accounts for really the failure of many topical. Number one, the failure of many topical strategies, and number two, the kind of uh, the kind of jadedness people have about topical skincare because mm -hmm. they just get frustrated and think nothing works because they don't realize by the time you see the zit or the pigmentation or the eczema, it's over. That's the end. That's the resolution. Of the, of the biochemical process that has preceded the symptom that you that you visually see, which is why I'm always talking about nutrition and and getting into the inside of the body, hormones as well as psychological uh, and uh, psychological uh, issues. There's a phenomenon called psychoimmunodermatology, which is about the relationship between the psyche, the immune system, and the skin, and we uh, we underrecognize that or we marginalize that at our own. Uh, at our own peril in the sense that we fail our treatments fail but because we don't take all these things into account okay so um and that's what the intriguing part was is that you are a nutritional pharmacist how so weird is that explain that too Look, okay tell us what well that i think of nutrients as what drugs dream they could be the perfect drug would be a drug that hadn't had effects with no toxicity and that's what a, nu a nutrient is when when prednisone goes to bed at night and has a dream, it dreams it was vitamin C because vitamin C is the perfect drug. All nutrients are the perfect drugs, number one, because toxic and they have benefits and effects. But number two, most importantly, there is no such thing as a drug deficiency disease. There's no such thing as a Ritalin deficiency or prednisone deficiency or a tetracycline deficiency, but there is zinc deficiency and there is vitamin A deficiency. And many of the things that we call diseases, many of the symptoms that are related to what we call diseases are really the end results of nutritional deficiencies or digestive issues that, uh, that uh, lead to toxicities, lead to uh, blood toxicities, immune activation, as well as malabsorption and ultimately nutritional deficiencies. So to me, it makes perfect sense to use nutrients as drugs, use nutrients, I should say, not as drugs, but as medications or as therapeutic modalities. Pharmacy is not the art or the science of dispensing drugs, although that's what it has devolved itself to or evolved itself to. 
uh, it's really the art of making therapeutic interventions, right? It's not, it's not drugs, it's therapeutic interventions. But today we consider therapeutic interventions to be drugs because of clever marketing and because of being bombarded with messaging. So everybody assumes that they're sick. They just, they just take a, a medicine, which is a pharmacological agent. I think medicines should be first and foremost nutritional. And so I'm proud to call myself a nutritional pharmacist because I work with nutrients where other pharmacists work with toxic drugs. So with, if that being the case, um, we're, this audience is all, all um, estheticians. Okay. So the skin, is, of- the skin is very, the skin turns over very quickly. So it manifests deficiencies very quickly and it recovers very quickly with nutrition. So estheticians are beautifully situated to be able to leverage the power of nutrition because of how fast the skin's the skin turns over and how quickly you can make adjustments, how quickly you can create changes and unfortunately how quickly deficiencies will show up on the skin. So you get a That's- real time when you look at the skin, I'm sorry to interrupt you. When we get when you look at the skin, you get a real time uh, uh, vision of what's happening inside the body. And if you speak skin, you can see essential fatty acid deficiency on the skin. You can see zinc deficiency on the skin. You can see antioxidant deficiencies on the skin. You don't have to go into the blood necessarily. You can look at the skin and even more importantly, or even more relevantly, the even uh, the, the nails move faster even than the skin. So the nails are the first place an esthetician should be looking at in order to assess the nutritional status of the, of their patient. Can you give me some examples of yeah, what brittle we nails, look for? Brittle nails, thin nails, spots in the nails, weak nails. All of these are signs of thyroid issues, mineral deficiencies, hypochlorhydria, that is low stomach acid, B vitamin deficiencies. There's various deficiencies that can show up on the nails. Uh, and the skin is not quite as rapid as the nails, but still pretty rapid. And you can see dryness on the skin, uh, lesions on the skin, um, uh, uh, hyperkeratosis on the skin, acne, oiliness. All of these are the signs of issues that are percolating inside the body in terms of nutrition, biochemistry, and the digestive system, as well as certain hormones. There's no, this is really important. I know I said it before, but it's really important. There are no drug deficiencies, number one. And there are no drug remedies for health problems with the exception of antibiotics, which kill bacteria, of course, but then you have to deal with uh, the, the kind of indiscriminate, uh, ba- uh, indiscriminate killing of good bacteria as well as bad bacteria. So you have problems there as well. Although antibiotics, a case can be made that you can resolve health issues with antibiotics. And I'm not against antibiotics uh, in the sense that sometimes you need them. But even antibiotics, you run into issues, especially if you have a digestive condition, for example, that is causing psoriasis, and we know digestive issues can cause psoriasis, and you take an antibiotic, uh, and they do give, um, they do give sometimes give antibiotics, not, I shouldn't say not for psoriasis, but for acne, they do give antibiotics for acne, you may be able to resolve a condition on the skin, mostly by the anti-inflammatory properties of the antibiotic, but if you throw off the gut bacteria, with, or even the skin bacteria with your antibiotics, you can end up with uh, opening up Pandora's box of other health challenges. Well, you just opened Pandora's box of my questions. Okay. Okay. Um, so we're gonna slow this down a little bit because you are so full of information. Uh, one, most states, estheticians don't have the scope of practice to deal with nutrition. Not true, they... not true. Okay. Not true. They do have the scope of practice. They're being told uh, mostly by medical people that they can't, but that's not true. They absolutely can. What they can't do is diagnose a disease. That's what they can't do. A diagnose, but a diagnosis is a brand name. 
So you know how you have Kleenex and you have tissues? Mm -hmm. So you have inflammation and you have acne. So you can't, it doesn't matter if you call it acne, you just call it inflammation. Acne is a brand name. You know, it doesn't matter if you have Kleenex or tissues. If I say, if you say, well, here's a, I want some Kleenex, I give you tissue. It's not a big deal if it's a, right. a different tissue. So you don't have to call it by the name. And that's what you can't do is be, the medical model owns the name. It's a copyrighted name. And I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm using an analogy here. It's not really copyrighted. Right. Legally, you can't use their name. But what you can do is you could say you have inflammation. There's an inflammatory process. Anybody can say that. And that's all, that's all really health challenges are is there problems with generic biochemical dysfunctions or um, adaptations that anybody can talk about. But what you can't do is you can't officially say that is tinea, tinea versicolor. You can't officially use a diagnostic term because the medical model owns that. And that's where you get into trouble. But other than that, you can say use zinc for anybody. You can say take uh, zinc deficiency causes acne. Right. Why don't you take 50 milligrams of zinc? Vitamin A deficiency causes hyperkeratosis. Why don't you start supplementing vitamin A? You take essential fatty acids out of the diet of a laboratory animal, immediately they start to have scaly dry skin. So you got scaly dry skin, get yourself on essential fatty acids. There's, anybody can say that. Okay. We just, so the, reason that, the reason this is important is because estheticians should not be intimidated. They should be able to, the, your client is coming in to see you for a skin problem. And right. you don't want to be intimidated by this idea. It's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not smart enough to be able to say that you have an EFA deficiency. All you got to do is say, ma'am, do you have menstrual problems? Ma'am, do you have PMS? Do you have cramps? Do you have endometriosis? And you have dry skin? Well, do you know that all of those are issues of essential fatty acids, of omega-6 and omega-3 essential fatty acids? Go to the health food store, or even better, what an esthetician really should be doing is having supplements in their practice. So they can, they can actually not only uh, help their client in terms of information, but help them in terms of products and make some money at the same, the same time. Okay. So with uh, that being said, uh, having supplements, we could coach people, right? Uh -huh. We could be like nutritional coaches Absolutely. And, and having supplements. How does somebody uh, find good supplements and understand? Okay. Is that, so isn't that a, a kind of precarious? Uh, Not really. I'll tell you why. A couple things. First of all, a good esthetician should be like a nutritionist. They don't have to necessarily be as educated as a nutritionist, but they have to have some of the basics about skin nutrition. I provide that on my radio program, on my podcasts, and my classes. There's a lot of places to get those. And a good esthetician will want all will want to take advantage of all the tools at her disposal. And as I say, health challenges are not drug deficiencies, and skin challenges are not drug deficiencies. They're oftentimes nutritional deficiencies. So if you're going to help someone with their skin, it's incumbent upon you to understand some of these things. So as far as supplements go, how do you know a good one? Well, there's two ways to look at supplements. One is individual nutrients. And one is as formulas. The formulas you got to be a little bit careful of, and you got to understand how uh, how to the amounts to use and how things work together. And they're a little bit trickier. But the individual supplements, the individual nutrients, I should say, vitamin C, zinc, essential fatty acids, which are a little bit tricky because there's two essential fatty acids, but selenium, chromium, they're all generic. You don't have to worry about brands with individual nutrients. So, for example, zinc picolinate, and I don't want to get too um, digress too much, but the second word after a mineral is very relevant. So there's different forms of zinc. There's different second words after zinc. So you probably have seen zinc sulfate, zinc gluconate, zinc oxide, 
zinc uh, picolinate. It turns out that some of the forms of zinc don't work as well and they'll cause a little bit of nausea, but zinc picolinate, 50 milligrams a day, is a miracle for treating acne. And bonus, and another reason why I like working with nutrients, you when you take zinc picolinate, you support your immune system. You support your, your uh, uh, bone health. You support brain health. You support heart health and the health of the vascular system, all while you're taking your zinc for your acne, which is another wonderful reason why nutrients are what drugs dream they could be. Not only are they non-toxic, but they're pleiotropic, which means multifunctional. So you get multiple benefits, plus you're actually really treating the problem. So uh, we definitely, though, want to not depend on the supplements 100%. We also want to support that with our actual food intake. Absolutely. Supplements are supplements. What does the word supplement mean? It means to add to. So a supplement is supposed to add to your diet. It's not your diet. You absolutely have to make sure that you're eating correctly. And that means in terms of what you are putting in that you shouldn't be and what you're not putting in that you should. And then also the digestive, the, the intestine specific, well, the whole digestive system, the stomach, the intestine, the gallbladder, the liver, the pancreas, all are going to play a role in how well your body is utilizing nutrients, how well your body is absorbing nutrients and on the specific nutrients that you need to take. And then how does somebody uh, test for that or know how? You know, you ask them how their bowel movements are. You ask somebody how regular they are. You ask somebody, do they cramp? Do they bloat after they eat certain meals? Do they have heartburn? There's all kinds of uh, interview questions you can ask and you should be asking. A statistician should be asking these questions. And you can also look at the skin. The skin is, like I say, a rapid window. It's a real-time window into what's happening inside the body. So hyperkeratosis or a blotchy skin or oily skin or acne prone skin or dry skin. All of these are indicators to what, uh, as to what is getting into, what uh, nutrients are uh, not getting into the system that should be getting into and what supplements you can, uh, what you can use therapeutically. No, but I usually ask at the end of my interviews, you know, to sell yourself and tell us where to find you. But this is a particular interesting area to ask you, do you have materials that people can go to. I to have a, find I have, I've write, I've written stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not the best writer in the world. Unfortunately, I can talk better than I can write. So I, there's zillions of YouTubes that I have. I mean, if you Google pharmacist Ben and skin various subjects, you'll get a million things on YouTube. I have all kinds of podcasts that I've done. I have a podcast that I do just for estheticians with ASCP called the rogue pharmacist. I have a podcast that is just nutrition. In fact, most people know me as a, around the country, around the world, really know me as a nutritionist and not as a skincare person. Right. Skin, the, the, I've been doing, you know, both for so long, but my real passion and love is nutrition and how nutrition works on the skin. Yeah. So if you just Google my name, you'll get a million things. Terrific. And then uh, let's move into uh, topical nutrition, like yes. after we've after you've done the internal part, yes. Now yes. talk yes. to us about how we do that. Extra now, it's part. funny. It's funny because as a pharmacist, I knew that nutri nutrition was very important for the skin, and I just made this intuitive leap uh, that you could you do a topical. I did this back in the late 1980s, early 1990s when I started formulating, and I remember back then nobody could understand why I was telling them to put nutrients on their skin. And I actually developed a vitamin C. I was one of the first people to have a topical vitamin C product. 
And I remember how confusing it was for people to, to say, why would I put vitamin C on my skin? Today is the most searched for term on the internet in terms of skincare is vitamin C. Everybody just knows it's common knowledge. But when I started doing it, nobody thought it, they didn't understand. Why would I put vitamin C on my skin? And to me, it just made perfect sense because I understood the skin as an absorptive organ underneath the stratum corneum, it absorbs things. Stratum corneum is a barrier and that has to be addressed for absorption. And that's a whole nother issue in formulation. But it turns out, and should be as no surprise if you understand the main distinction in health, which is one that is not being addressed, but is very logical when you think about it. And that is the cell. See, the body is made up of two major compartments. I call it raisin bread, right? Okay. Raisin bread is two major compartments. What are the two major compartments of raisin bread? Obviously. The bread, the bread and the raisin. The bread and the raisin, right? Obviously, right? Well, the body is built the same way. It's like raisin bread. It's made up of these two compartments. It's made up of raisins and bread. But of course, we're not raisin bread, so we don't call it raisins and bread. We call the raisins cells, and we call the bread stuff. Actually, we don't call it stuff. We call it extracellular matrix. Yeah. I call it stuff because that just gets too complicated to say extracellular matrix. So we call it stuff. The, the body is made up of cells and stuff, like raisin bread is made up of raisins and bread, right? But here's the most, this is the important point for health, for skin health, as well as for internal health. By the time you see the bread, it's over. You have to get to the level of the raisins. See, the raisin bread in the body are not, it's not ordinary raisin bread. It's magical raisin bread in the sense that imagine if you took a bunch of raisins, I gave you some raisins and you put it on your, uh, you put it on your counter and then you went out and did some work and you did your, you know, walked your dog and, and pet, uh, took care of your kids, whatever. You came back to the counter and the raisins you left on the counter were now raisin bread. You would say, oh my God, a miracle has happened. The raisins made their bread. Oh my God, magic raisins. Well, guess what? That's what the body is. The cells are magic raisins. They make the bread. The cells make the stuff. And as it turns out, the stuff then feeds back and, and nourishes the cells. The cells make the, the, the stuff and then the stuff feeds and oxygenates and detoxifies the cells. It's a big circle. But by the time you see the zit, or the eczema, or the dry skin, or the pigmentation, that's in the bread. The reason healthcare fails, and skincare specifically fails, is because we're treating the bread. We're not treating the raisins. you got to get to the level of the raisins. So you say, oh my God, that makes perfect, doesn't that make sense? It's logical, yes. right? It's like, yes. well, why the heck aren't we treating the raisins? I'll tell you why we're not treating the raisins. Because health has become, in our country, and around the world over the last 150 years, not a question of health, but a question of medicine. The medical model has stolen health from the people. The medical model has stolen health from the, from, from the, the uh, patients. We have lost our authority. So the medical model tells you, oh, we're going to take care of you. But because there's nothing in the medical model's magical bag of tricks to take care of the cell, they say, oh, we're just going to treat the stuff. Because they can't treat the cell. You know why? Because the cell is not stupid. The cell doesn't take drugs. The cell doesn't, the cell doesn't take the tools of the medical model. The only thing the medical model can do to a cell is poison it with drugs, radiate it with x-rays and, and energy, electrocute it and burn it with ablation, or excise it with surgery. The medical model cannot feed a cell. 
The medical model cannot oxygenate a cell. The medical model cannot detoxify the cell. And those are the only three things that you need to do to a cell is feed it, oxygenate it, and detoxify it. Simple as that. The only thing that can go wrong with the cell to cause problems at the level of the stuff, whether it's pigmentation or acne or eczema or psoriasis, the only thing that can go wrong with a cell is starvation, lack of nutrients, suffocation, lack of oxygen, or toxification, the accumulation of poison, of which sugar, by the way, is high on the list. So you've got toxicity, you've got starvation, and you've got suffocation. And because the medical model can't do anything about it, all we can do is treat it with drugs. And all we can do is treat it with, uh, with uh, surgeries or x-rays or radiation or electrocution and ablations. But it doesn't matter, you see, because we can do it ourselves. We can address ourselves, the cells ourselves, with nutrition, with movement to get oxygenation going and detoxification. And topically, we can do the same thing. And this was an insight that I had many years ago, is that if you can bypass the stratum corneum and get to a cell, which is the keratinocyte, which lives on the in the basal layer of the epidermis and the fibroblast of the two main cells of the skin, if you can get to the cell with the cell's favorite ingredients, which are food, in the terms of the cell, it's not food really, it's nutrition, Wait. you can feed the cell from the outside in. Now, not all nutrients will uh, get into the cell or will activate the cell upon topical application, but there are two that stand out in importance. And I know you know what those are. Everybody knows these days that it's vitamin A in terms of retinol or retinoic acid and vitamin C. And these are the two main ingredients because they're the two main nutrients for the cell that could be delivered from the outside in. It's a little bit tricky in the sense that you have to have some, you have to understand the structure and you got to bypass the stratum corneum. But that's what we do. We learn in pharmacy school is how to bypass the stratum corneum. And pharmac pharmacists are the really the the skincare the skin cell health experts because we understand how to get through the skin barrier we study for four semesters in pharmacy school for two years we study something called pharmaceutics which is the science of how you bypass the stratum corneum and how you get medicine into the body through the skin and what i did is i just took advantage and i leveraged those things those understandings those concepts from pharmaceutics for skincare and i use those concepts to to uh, allow me to, to create formulations that delivered topical nutrients, specifically vitamin C and retinol through the stratum corneum to the skin cell, the keratinocyte and the fibroblast. And those are the most important ingredients. And uh, you, you might also throw in ionic minerals into the mix, plant-derived minerals. Those also have uh, relevance for the skin, in for skin cells in terms of getting through the skin topically. And then those uh, plant minerals, um... Plant minerals, ionic minerals. Plants, plants have an ability to take rocks and turn them into bioavailable minerals. That's the magic of plants. Now you can't get you can't uh, get your calcium by eating calcium stones from the garden. You can't get minerals from from rocks, nutritional minerals from rocks. But if plants have activated those minerals, and by activate I mean manipulated those minerals through their root system and through their proteins and their biochemistry, they can actually turn those rocks into bioavailable minerals. And it's not just plants, it's also microbes that live on the surface of the earth. They're, uh, they're called lithotropes. They actually, lithotropes means stone eaters. 
-hmm. And these microbes are lithotropic. They will eat the stone and they'll turn them into bioavailable minerals. And plants do the same thing. These bioavailable minerals go into the plants and they get converted and they get manipulated. And then when the plants die, they leave behind these minerals and they create deposits. And these minerals that we should all be getting from our vegetables, and that's one of the reasons why you want to eat your vegetables, um, these minerals can be actually taken advantage of as, nutri as nutrients internally. And you can buy these nutrients uh, in supplements. And I actually sell them in supplements. They're called fulvic minerals. But you can also use them topically, and they will actually uh, get through the stratum corneum, and they can have a cellular effects, and they're incredible ingredients. And between vitamin C, retinol, fulvic minerals, and then also alpha-hydroxy acids. Alpha-hydroxy acids can actually deliver little tiny pieces of acid from an electrical perspective, from a quantum perspective. They're called protons. Mm -hmm. And alpha-hydroxy acids can actually release protons that can get into the skin cell as well. And between these protons from the alpha hydroxy acids and, and uh, ionic minerals, plant-derived minerals, and um, vitamin C and vitamin A, you have the four most important ingredients for the skin from a topical perspective. And if you're not using these four ingredients, alpha hydroxy acids, uh, retinol, uh, vitamin C, and ionic plant-derived minerals, you're completely missing the boat on topical skincare. So are you telling me that, um, or sounds like, you're leading us down to more of a vegetarian or heavy vegetable-based diet? No, because or animals eat animals eat animals eat the vegetables as and well. Then you get the you get the minerals from the animals too. Yeah. 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 That's really vegetables cool. are the source. Vegetables are plant and when I say vegetables, I'm including fruits too. I'm botanicals, things that grow on the earth. They are magical in the sense that they can they combine the sun and the earth and bring them together in one form that we can ingest. And seaweed does the same thing, by the way. And algae is the same, has the same. In fact, algae might even be more powerful because the ocean is so loaded with, with, uh, with uh, nutrients that the algaes can absorb. So between algaes and botanicals, you have incredible, incredible nutrient sources that everybody should be ingesting on a regular basis. And unfortunately we don't. And a lot of the nutrients that, a lot of the uh, foods that we get are processed and ultra processed. And we lose a lot of the value from these raw new, these raw botanicals. So then botanicals, botanicals also produce, this is so amazing to me. Botanicals also produce magical compounds that help us adjust to the stresses of life. You know, that not just the psychological stresses, but the physiologic stresses of life, pollution and sun and wind. And these, these, these are all environmental stresses that can uh, take their toll on the body uh, and vegetables produce molecules called adaptogens. And these adaptogens help cells respond to environmental stresses. It's like this great gift that the botanical world gives the animal world, that bequeaths upon humans and animals, these molecules that help cells adapt or adjust to uh, environmental stressors. And uh, plants are also, in addition to being sources of minerals and, and nutrients, they're also sources of adaptogens. I have so many directions I want to go in with you. Uh, so one one thing from the original uh, ASCP uh, event that I saw you at, uh, you talked about pigmentation and the stress yeah. response. Yes. And I was dying to ask you. Yeah. Um, because you had talked about melasma. Yeah. But I was also wondering about. Um, I'm a freckled face girl. Okay. So freckles or age spots that you know the pigmentation. Yeah. And tie that with stress or lack okay. of stress. And then okay. the nutrition in with it. <laughs> all of it. Okay, gotcha. Well, first of all, 
the stress response is uh, exemplified by the hormone cortisol. Okay, so when we say the stress response, what we're really talking about from a biochemical perspective is the hormone cortisol, which is the, uh, the, the, the biochemical that's reflective of what we generically call the stress response. You have stress, you, then cortisol is released. And it's cortisol that is responsible for a lot of these problems. For example, cortisol is a pigmentizing agent. The pigmentation process is a manifestation of stress. The stress response happens as a system. So when you're under stress, a lot of things happen. When you're under stress, your blood pressure goes up. When you're under stress, your digestive system and digestive juices slow down. When you're under stress, your body stops or your skin cells stop. Um, your uh, skin cells don't, re your skin doesn't repair. When you're under stress, your thyroid slows down. When you're under stress, your uh, reproductive hormones slow down. When you're under stress, brain is, uh, blood is shunted from the front of your brain to the back of your brain. Where you from the executive center, the cor cerebral cortex to the to the um, uh, the medulla, the back of the brain, the fight or flight area of the brain. So there's a lot of things that happen when the when you're under stress. In other words, it, the stress response occurs as a syndrome. A bunch of things happen when you're under stress. Well, one of the things that happen, and all of these things are have are logical. For example, why would your digestive system shut down when you're under stress? Well, when you're under stress, you're not supposed to. And, and keep in mind, the main stresses from an evolutionary perspective were saber-toothed tigers and lions that wanted to eat you. It wasn't credit card bills, and it wasn't your dysfunctional family, and it wasn't your, you know, your boss. It wasn't your your uh, teachers or your grades. It, the stresses were survival stresses. Right. And you had so, to run. You had, you had to, to run. Were you supposed to stop and take a dump? Or excuse my French, you, you know, <laughs> right. were you supposed to eat, stop and eat lunch? When you have stress, no, the digestive system slows down because all the energy is going to your legs to run, right? Yeah. You're not supposed to have, make a baby when you're under stress. You're not supposed to, uh, you know, have a, have a, 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 you don't need a boosted immune system when you're under stress. So all of these things happen to help you deal with the stressor. So one of the things, one of the major stressors that we had uh, in life is stresses from the outside on our skin, specifically from the sun. So pigmentation is part of this entire stress response. And when you're under stress, you're going to pigment. Now, uh, tip, what you're, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to pigment when you're out in the sun in a tan, in a uniform fashion. But as we grow older, our bodies and our hormones don't respond as effectively as they do when we're younger. So you get blotchy. You get a blotchy kind of appearance. And pigmentation is a manifestation of excessive amounts of cortisol where your body is stressing, where your skin is manifesting the stress response, not because of the sun, but because of stress hormones. And this is why pigmentation will occur when people are under stress. As a matter of fact, the biggest stress in a woman's life is going to be when she has a baby. And we all know, women know there's the mask of pregnancy when you're under stress. Estrogen, by the way, there's a lot of similarities between the estrogenic between estrogenic biochemistry and cortisol biochemistry. And in a way, estrogen is a type of stress hormone. So when estrogen levels change, and we have all have a problem these days with excess amounts of estrogen from what are called xenoestrogens and uh, estrogens that are found in cosmetic products, estrogens that are found in, uh, in uh, plastics, estrogens that are found in drugs, estrogens in the water supply, there are plants that make estrogens. So between the stress response and the elevated levels of estrogen, and it's not just estrogen, by the way, it's a special kind of estrogen. And that's a whole nother story, how estrogen has to be cleared out of the body quickly and under conditions of 
sluggish bowels or liver problems or gallbladder problems, we don't clear estrogen out as effectively. All of these issues, elevated estrogen, elevated toxic estrogen, elevated cortisol, we have a major reason why we get pigmentation. Another thing that happens when you have excess cortisol is you'll have oily skin. And you can actually see this on somebody's face. You can actually assess uh, the stress response or elevated levels of cortisol by looking for shine on the skin, oiliness on the skin. Poor healing is another manifestation of elevated cortisol, slow wound healing, or uh, increases in photo damage. There are hormone, there are uh, molecules, I should say, that are suppressed and are increased, both of which have a, have a uh, degrading effect on the dermis that can cause thinning skin or poor wound healing that are associated with the stress response. One of the worst things that can happen, and this is, this is endemic um, with the stress response, is barrier issues. You will not repair the barrier. You'll have an impaired barrier, a thin barrier, a fragile barrier when you're secreting stress hormones. An impaired barrier can cause all kinds of health issues, including pigmentation. An impaired barrier is responsible for hyperpigmentation, sensitive skin, dry skin. All of these are signs of an impaired barrier and elevated stress hormones will uh, cause problems with a thin or impaired barrier. Sometimes you ever hear people say, oh, everything I put on my skin makes me break out. Everything put, makes me sensitive. I can't put anything on my skin. That's classic signs of a stress response going on, as well as nutritional deficiencies, by the way. And then immune suppression. When you have elevated cortisol, one of the things that happens with the stress response is the immune system will slow down. Again, when you're running from a saber-toothed tiger, the immune system doesn't matter. So the body will suppress the immune system under conditions of elevated stress hormones. And we actually use this. Uh, what do they give you when you have a rash? What kind of medicine they give you? They give you prednisone or they give you cortisol or you put hydrocortisone cream or on your skin or you'll put um, triamcinolone or some kind of steroid because cortisol-like molecules and steroids suppress the immune system. Well, if you're elevated, if your cortisol is elevated and your skin immunity is suppressed, you're going to be more susceptible to acne. You're going to be more susceptible to other bacterial infections. You're going to have problems with the sun because you're not going to be able to deactivate or protect yourself from the sun. In fact, you'll be more susceptible to skin cancer when your cortisol levels are up because cortisol is an immune suppressant. Right. So all of these are issues that are associated with cortisol and, and the stress response. And it's not just psychological stress, the stress of uh, inflammation the or the stress of uh, 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 attacks on the body, the stress of the wrong kinds of food, the stress of uh, having a toxicity that enters in, into the bloodstream through a leaky gut. All of these are physiologic stresses. And in fact, one of the worst physiologic stresses is something called hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, which follows hyperglycemia. High blood sugar leads to low blood sugar. And I call this the high blood sugar, low blood sugar roller coaster. And many people go through this. They low blood sugar, they'll eat sugar. They get low blood sugar again. They'll eat more sugar. They get low blood sugar. And they, this high blood sugar, low blood sugar roller coaster can also lead to, uh, to elevated cortisol and the manifestations of the stress response. So we have all these things are creating some kind of pigmentation. It can all be associated with pigmentation. Barrier. The most most common reasons why you're going to have pigmentation issues are cortisol and estrogen, a toxic estrogen, especially a skin, and they're all related. Skin barrier issues, weaken a weakened barrier, um, and then uh, there's something else I'm missing. You here. mentioned you mentioned um, In, uh, insulin can, can also do it. Insulin, right, you mentioned insulin. people could be oily, but they also can be dry. 
yeah, that's a whole nother so, issue. That's a, okay. whole nother, that's a whole nother issue. Uh, if you're hypo, if you're hypothyroid, low thyroid, there's a relationship between elevated cortisol and hypothyroidism. When your cortisol is high, cortisol gives you emergency energy. Cortisol is like an emergency hormone it's for dealing with stress, right? Yeah. The thyroid gives you regular energy. Cells don't do anything unless there's thyroid hormone present. However, when you're hypercortisol, too much cortisol, eventually the thyroid will start to slow down. It's, a, it's kind of a, a way of compensating for that excess energy. Well, hypothyroidism will make your skin dry. Elevated cortisol will make your skin oily. So you can be oily and dry at the same time. Dryness is a hydration issue. Oiliness is designed initially or originally skin oils to trap water. But if you're hypothyroid and you're not trapping water, you can still be oily and dry at the same time. And the way you want to deal with this is by working with your cortisol and your thyroid. There's very little you could do topically to treat this condition, this dry, oily condition. Because what do you do? Put a moisturizer on. That's going to make your oil, make your oily skin worse. And it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. How do you handle it? You have to handle it at the level of cortisol and the thyroid. And the most important thing to do is tell the adrenal glands to stand down. Calming the adrenal glands, that is dealing with stress, dealing with the stress response, is critical, not just for skin health, but for all health issues. Yeah. In fact, all chronic health issues involve this imbalance between cortisol and the thyroid. Hypothyroidism, low thyroid, which follows elevated cortisol, is the jumping off point to everything, to heart disease, to autoimmune disease, to cancer, to neurological health issues, to all health misery follows hypothyroidism, which itself can follow hypercortisol. You can't work directly in the thyroid. You know, when you're, if you have hypothyroid, and, and this is very common, hypothyroidism is extremely common, there's very little the medical model can do. They can give you Synthroid, or they can give you desiccated thyroid, or they can give you Cytomel, and they give you these different hormone-like drugs, uh, these uh, hormone drugs, I guess yeah. you could say, Synthroid. And, you know, you're constantly having to adjust your dose, and most people don't get any benefit from them because they're not taking care of the cause of the hypothyroidism. The main causes of hypothyroidism involve stress hormone and autoimmunity. And so if you're dealing with hypothyroidism or this dry, uh, this dry, oily condition, you have to work at the level of the adrenal glands, as well as uh, if you have autoimmune issues, that, that involves digestive strategies. All of this is to say, by the way, that there's so much here we can do. None of this is medicine. Ever, have yeah. we talked about medicine here at all? No. There's, there's, this is not medicine. This is lifestyle. And yeah. this is nutrition. And my mission in life is to help people understand, especially, you know, everybody really, but especially professionals who are in the business to understand that we can do so much. Yeah. Health is not a medical issue unless it becomes an emergency, like you, a rock falls on your head or you get into a car accident. Most of our health challenges, and uh, including our skin health challenges, are based in lifestyle. And we want to start to take our power back as professionals as health professionals, skin care professionals, and as lay people as well. In fact, you've heard of something called IQ, obviously, right? IQ yeah. intelligence. Have mm -hmm. you heard of EQ? Yes, emotional quotient. Yeah. Emotional, right? How we're talking together, how you get along with your kids and your yeah. husband, wife, et cetera. That's all EQ, right? Yeah. Well, I came up with something I call PQ. PQ is 
physical intelligence. Our biggest problem in this culture is we have low PQ. And so when the doctor says, oh, you, you gotta, we don't want you to get sick, so we got to inject this genetic thing into your arm or, oh, uh, you know, you don't need that gallbladder. It hurts anyway. We'll just take the gallbladder out and, and you'll be fine. Every, you can live fine without a gallbladder. Oh, you're not going to have a baby. You have endometriosis. We'll just take out that uterus and we'll give you some hormones and no problem. Oh, you got hyperthyroid. Oh, we'll just take the thyroid out and then we'll just give you. We say, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what my gallbladder does. I don't know. You're the doctor. And, and so we, because we don't have an understanding of what our gallbladder does or our understanding of what our, our uterus does or our understanding of what our breasts do or understanding of our pancreas, we, we give up our power. We give up our autonomy. We give up our authority for what is the most personal and most important thing in our lives, which is our health and the health of our families and the health of our children and the health of our parents. And we lose health and we lose longevity and we lose money and we lose joie de vivre all because we have low PQ, because we don't understand our bodies. And in, in, in terms of what we're talking about here today, we don't understand our skin. Do you know the dumbest thing you could ever put on your dry skin? And I, I'm sorry to say this. I better say this a little differently. The, okay. one, of the, the, one of the least thoughtful things we could put on our dry skin is a moisturizer. Do you know there are people who have moisturizers in their car and in their purse and in their cab, uh, medicine cabin, in their vanity, in their office? They got 10 different moisturizers, mm -hmm. right? The average person has multiple moisturizing products. We sell millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in moisturizing creams in this country. Yeah. You would think nobody would ever have dry skin again with all the moisturizers you got everywhere in your house and office and locker and all the moisturizers that are on the uh, sold in the drugstore and the, the new moisturizer that comes from England now. I want some of that moisturizer and the one that all these movie stars are talking about or, or, or uh, doctors are telling you about. Nobody should have dry skin. Right? right, but everybody has dry skin. You know why? Because when you put a moisturizer on your skin, you suppress your body's, your skin's natural moisture factor. Mm -hmm. You have molecules in your skin that are supposed to trap water from the atmosphere. And when you come to Colorado from New York or from Miami, you just make more natural moisture factor. But of course, what we do is we slather on the, the, the wax and the oil and the emulsifiers and all the things that are in a moisturizing cream, we occlude, we cover up the skin, we suffocate the skin. We suppress the natural moisture factor. Additionally, the skin supposed to get can get oxygen from the air. It also it detoxifies and you put moisturizers on, you block all that from happening. The net effect of moisturizers is dry skin. And I don't know if, I, if you know this, but uh, I learned the skincare business by working for the Blistex Corporation. That's where I got my, my background in skincare. And we love this at Blistex because the more chapstick and Blistex and Carmex you put on your lips, the more you need. There are people that can't go 10 minutes. I have friends who yeah. can't go 10 minutes without putting chapstick on their skin, on their lips, because when you put chapstick on your lips, you suppress the natural moisture factor. So a counter, not counterintuitively, but we know this, the best thing you could do to keep your to produce natural moisture factor is exfoliate, is stimulate the natural moisture factor. Moisturizers suppress, exfoliators turn them on. Say, oh, well, that's going to cause my skin to be dry. Well, in the short run, it may, but in the long run, you're going to make more moisture factors. And while you're exfoliating, make sure you do nutrients that help you make the natural moisture factor, that help you make skin lipids 
and between the moisture between the internal nutrients that you take and exfoliation that's how you want to make sure your skin stays moist making sure you're supplementing and make sure you're stimulating well ben i'm going to say make a statement and then and i want to go back to cortisol but okay. one i teach skincare and okay. we have textbooks that you know like in things that we're supposed to cover and make sure and this is what we're telling estheticians right is these are the processes you know cleanse exfoliate yeah um research you know or resurface and then uh serum moisturizer spf so we're perpetuating this issue well you know skincare is an old science it's not based on modern understandings it's based on uh, uh, helena rubinstein it's right. based on it's based on primitive and archaic thoughts about how we treat the skin. You know, before cell theory, before we understood the nature of the cell, which was about the 1860s, the middle of the 19th century, there was skincare and everybody knew how to do skincare. You just smear stuff on the skin. I call it smear stuff on and hope for the best. The cellular nature and the molecular nature of tissue and of the skin in, uh, specifically isn't something that ha has been really understood until 20 or 30 years ago, 40 years ago. When I was doing research in, in pharmacy school, like I said, I worked for the Blistex Corporation when I was in pharmacy school. And one of my jobs was to go to the library and do research. And I remember there was hardly anything about the skin. There was very little understanding about how the skin was uh, was put together, about the cellular nature of the skin from a, from a, a topical or a, a cosmetic or superficial perspective. Right. So we really didn't know a lot of these things. And a lot of it is just based on generational uh, information where, where grandmothers pass information on to mothers, pass information on daughters, pass information on through the generations. So I believe the time has come for us to completely rethink, reimagine how we take care of the skin and what skincare can really be. And that involves some of these things that we're talking about here today. Nutrition, ex uh, exercise, exfoliation is really topical exercise. It's really exercising the skin, as well as internal strategies, like psychological strategies, for example, like we're talking about with stress. Right. So <clears throat> I got into this industry uh, uh, as a change of career. I was in direct marketing prior to this for 25 okay. years. Okay. So when I got into this industry and I started studying and stuff, um, the science, which I never thought I was a scientist as a kid, but the science is what grabbed me and held held me. And direct marketing is sort of like math science, right? Like it's a more specific uh, measurement of your advertising. Okay. So I ended up starting to get curious because I call what you're saying um, of like what Helen and Rubenstein, all them, fluff and buff. Right? Ah, fluff and buff, like right? I love that. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that, I think. I'm gonna feel I'm free. Gonna... That's good. Right. That's good. And then um, and because of my sort of science background, then I started getting into the cells and the more medi spa work and and things like that. And so when I teach, I start telling students, you know, about the actual cells. I spend more time on that than just like nice. all the basic stuff, which nice. is amazing. Um, you know, the cells where do you teach? Stuff. Where's your school? Um, I uh teach in uh connecticut okay and i have my own advanced school and i teach for another undergraduate school that's awesome that's so, awesome Good for you thank you so um i understand what you're saying because it gets frustrating because our information is old yeah to the point where we're just fluffing and buffing you know if your great 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 grandmother from the 19th century came and got into a time machine and came to the year 2023 into your bathroom she would know exactly what to do with all your skincare products They're, 
There'd be no, it would be, have been the same thing that she was using in 1870, uh, you know, when she was putting on her moist, so-called moisturizer and her skincare products, it hasn't changed. Yeah. And what I want to do, my mission in life is to completely, is to help people rethink the skin and what topical skincare can be, or what skincare in general can be, both topical and internal. Well, there's so much the skin does too, like just, um, well, I want to get back to that cortisol thing, but also yeah. cells talking to each other um, totally also blows my mind of how to work and how to do. So that's what you're saying about the dry skin. It's saying, I don't need it anymore. I don't need to make it anymore. Let's all stop. Let's just shut the factory down for a while. Yes, you know? exactly. Let's just shut down the factory for a while. That's exactly right. Right. And that's what, what moisturizer need. does. It shuts down the factory. Yeah. So that cortisol thing. So okay. one, because we want um, estheticians to understand what to look for. So cortisol, as I understand it, is uh, belly fat or a certain kind of belly fat. The, yeah, belly fat. It, be, cortisol can manifest itself as belly fat, but sometimes cortisol, you know, you could be hypercortisol and you could be burning, uh, burning up tissue. And so a lot of people who are very thin are uh, cortisol can hype up your metabolism, can rev up your metabolism. So it's not that cut and dry. So yeah. sometimes people who are very lean, can't gain weight or hypercortisol. The best way to tell you, if you're looking for a, some good, good ways to yeah, tell just, cortisol, yeah. problem sleeping, reproductive problems, oily skin, like reproductive problems, I mean, uh, infertility, oily skin, anxiety. Here's a great way to know if a uh, great uh, laundry list of hypercortisol symptoms, menopause, all, <laughs> all of the signs of menopause. All of the classic signs of menopause, the night sweats and the hot flashes and the anxiety and the insomnia and the depression and all of these kinds of issues that we assume are problems with menopause or just normal uh, normal signs of menopause are really manifestations of the stress response. And so using anti-stress strategies, psychological strategies, as well as food and, di uh, diet uh, food and supplemental strategies uh, can be very helpful, not just for lowering cortisol, but also for menopausal women. Because menopausal women, all the symptoms of menopause mimic the symptoms of hypercortisolism. So, uh, for example, keeping your sugar down. That's one of the best strategies for keeping your cortisol down because this high blood sugar, low blood sugar effect that we were talking about, hypoglycemia, will spike cortisol. Um, and then also uh, slow, deep breathing is a great strategy for lowering cortisol. Uh, and all of these will lower your blood pressure, too, if you have hypertension. Uh, and then, you know, one of my favorite uh, strategies for lowering cortisol, lowering blood pressure, re uh, reducing the stress response. And by the way, there's two uh, elements to the nervous system. There's the stress nervous system and there's the safety nervous system, the calm nervous system. Yeah, I'm sure you know, this the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So cortisol and the sympathetic nervous system go hand in hand. And so learning to activate the parasympathetic nervous system is what we're basically talking about here. And slow, deep breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Today, they call it the vagal nerve. And that's really, the it's the vagus system that, that is responsible for parasympathetic activity. So activating the vagus nerve, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, lowering cortisol, it's all the same idea. Uh, slow, deep breathing, uh, stabilizing your blood sugar. Here's one of the fastest ways to lower your blood pressure, activate the parasympathetic nervous system, and uh, reduce uh, reduce cortisol. You ready for this? Yeah. Take a warm bath. A warm bath tells the body it's safe. Why would a warm bath tell the body it's safe, do you think? A warm bath represents the last place most humans were safe. In the uterus. In the womb, exactly, exactly. And women know this intuitively. Women will say, 
oh, I'm all stressed out. I'm going to go take a warm bath, right? Women know, women are much more in touch with their bodies than men. So women intuitively know that a warm bath will activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So taking a warm bath, and for folks who have hypertension, high blood pressure, and they're on beta blockers or calcium channel blockers or whatever antihypertensive they're taking, one of the fastest ways to lower your blood pressure is to take a warm bath. In fact, you'll notice that if you ever get in a hot tub and you just get up real quick, uh, you feel a little woozy and you feel dizzy. That's a classic sign of low blood pressure. You're not having, you don't have enough blood pressure. So if you're, if you're going to take warm baths, you're going to have to lower your, your antihypertensive medicine. If we really cared about health in this country, we would, we wouldn't have national health insurance. We'd have national hot tub insurance where every American gets a hot tub in their backyard on the government, because that activates the parasympathetic nervous system. It tells the body it's safe. And so, uh, you know what else? Check this out. If you really get into a bind and you're really in an emergency, you know what you'll actually do? You will actually get into a fetal position. A fetal position tells the body it's back in the womb. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So there's all these wonderful things that you could do to activate the uh, parasympathetic, activate the vagus, lower cortisol that have nothing to do with drugs. They're all lifestyle issues. And these are all great for menopausal women and as well as for anybody who's hypercortisol. Melatonin helps balance out the stress response, balance out cortisol. Not, you know, we all know about melatonin to help you sleep, yeah. which it does. Melatonin also balances out cortisol. Pro, uh, progesterone balances out cortisol and estrogen. And one of the best remedies for hot flashes is progesterone, topical progesterone. I make a topical progesterone that you could use as a moisturizer that also uh, is a form of a source of progesterone. Uh, pregnenolone, I don't know if you ever heard of pregnenolone, P-R-E-G-N-E-N-O-L-O-N-E. That also will balance out the stress response and balance out cortisol. Vitamin A, vitamin E have look, uh, cortisol lowering effects. So there's lots of nutrients you could take. There's dietary strategies, lowering your blood sugar, and then physiological, uh, physical strategies like warm baths, slow, deep breathing. You know, as far as slow, deep breathing goes, the exhale is where you activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So just sighing, just going like this, ah, will activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So understanding how to use your body, having a good PQ, a high PQ can go a long way towards lowering cortisol, supporting your immune system, giving you beautiful skin, and just improving your quality of life. So now I want to go back from now from cortisol back to um pigmentation okay only because uh pigmentation is the hardest to get rid of yes and we, and we all have things for acne and other things you know yes. uh, but, topical you mean topical yeah you're yeah. yeah so because i want to just tie everything back to like skincare again yes. yes so so we have cortisol the stress the pigmentation comes out after it's like the last thing it's like it's telling us all right yes. you, you got a problem yes, it's the end it's the end this is the end so topically what do we what do? Can you do lots you could do most importantly exfoliate now it's a little tricky because when the skin is unstable if you stimulate it too much with exfoliation you can actually induce inflammation remember the barrier there's a very important relationship between the strength of the barrier and pigmentation if the barrier is fragile pigmentation you'll get pigmentation and if you disrupt the barrier you can induce pigmentation that's called post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So you got to be careful with exfoliation, but strategic exfoliation is great. I like retinol because with retinol, you get wonderful anti-pigment effects. 
number one, at the level of the melanocyte, the, the pigment making a cell, but also the exfoliate, excuse me, the exfoliation. Not everybody can use retinol. You got you to understand how to use retinol, and there's a whole strategy to using it. Everybody should be able to use retinol, but because of barrier issues, some people can't. Nonetheless, retinol gives you all of the benefits of the gold standard ingredient, which is hydroquinone for skin lightening uh, without the toxicity and with anti-aging and skin thickening and, and barrier health and, and uh, connective tissue health benefits. So I love retinol as a skin lightener. In fact, it's my favorite skin lightener. Vitamin C also has skin lightening properties. Uh, and then uh, if you really wanna do topical skin lightening and you really, really, really wanna lighten your skin, hydroquinone is the gold standard and you gotta use high concentrations of it. It is effective, but you it's a drug and it's not a very pleasant drug. And when I make hydroquinone in my pharmacy, uh, hydroquinone products in my pharmacy, I, I wear a mask and I wear gloves because I don't want to touch it and I don't want to breathe it. Nonetheless, it is very effective. Niacin, I forgot to say that has also has some barrier strengthening and some depigmentizing effects. Uh, but other than that, you're really not going to get much. There are things like transemic acid and kojic acid. Um, and there's some other, some other hydroquinone, there's something called menaquinone derivatives, but the real, the real, if you want to go the drug route, you're going to go have to pretty much hydroquinone is the gold standard. And then I recommend exfoliation and retinol and vitamin C and also niacin for skin lightening. Kojic acid, arbutin, bearberry, licorice root. I mean, there's all of these skin lighteners. In nature, there's lots of tyrosinase inhibitors because pigmentate, there's this pigmentation process occurs in nature too. So tyrosinase inhibitors, that's the main strategy for topical uh, topical skin lightening, very ineffective, notoriously ineffective. Uh, and nobody, I have never met somebody who said, oh, I used this tyrosinase inhibitor and it, it was, you know, my pigmentation went away. It's very rare. The best, you, the best ones are going to be glycolic acid, alpha hydroxy acids, uh, or maybe microdermabrasion or laser. If you want to go the doctor route or the, you know, the salon route, um, and then retinol and vitamin C and niacin, and then hydroquinone, if you really want to the big guns. Right. But um, hasn't um, hydroquinone been regulated to 4%? No, yes. well, in a con I compound it. So you can have a compounding pharmacy. I make an 8%. I make a 10, I've made a 20% uh, compounded. Yes. The, the, the manufactured drug is limited at 4% and over the counter it's less, I think it's like 1.8% or something like that. You really need to have 4% or more, even, even 4% doesn't work that well. 8% will give you some skin lightening but it is toxic. You can only use it for three, three months at a time. You have to go three months on, three months off kind of thing because you run the risk of permanently disabling your melanocytes, creating hypopigmentation issues. And it is a, it's, it's a nasty drug. There's no getting around it. It's a really nasty drug. And I, I, don't, I don't like working with it, although I do make it on, on a prescription basis you know, for, for doctors, but it doesn't really have tremendous benefits. Agileic acid will give you some skin lightening benefits. But really, hydro, it's hydroquinone, exfoliation, and vitamin C and retinol. And then, um, I don't think most estheticians know what a compound pharmacist is. Ah, okay. A compound, yeah. I, a compounding pharmacy is where the pharmacist literally makes the medicine. I have a compounding pharmacy for the skin, where I literally will make medicine for the skin. So an ordinary compounding pharmacy may make hormone creams or or um, special preparations at different doses that the drug companies don't want to make, or maybe put things into liquids that people can't take pills. 
uh, I have a compounding pharmacy called Truth RX Dermatology Pharmacy, where we just make skincare products. And I will compound various products for devices, anesthetic creams, numbing creams, special acne preparations, special skin lightening preparations on orders, on doctor's orders uh, by prescription. Okay. And then, uh, Ben, uh, you've given me an hour. So the last thing I always ask all guests is where can people find you? If okay. you're doing anything amazing that you want to promote, say it now. Okay. And we'll find right. that. And if, oh, uh, and if you work with people to help formulate Absolutely. products or things like that, tell them how to contact you for that. Okay. Generally speaking, you can contact me by going to uh, uh, support at truthtreatments.com. My, uh, my company's called The Truth because I hate BS. So I name my company The Truth and name my skincare lines Truth Treatments. And they're all, all my formulations are made without preservatives, fragrances, fillers, waxes. I took all the baloney out of the product, left behind just the active material. In fact, all my over-the-counter formulations are Truth Treatments started out as prescription drugs. And what I realized was when you heal the skin, you beautify it. So all my Truth Treatments are healing products in addition to uh, being beauty, beauty products. And you can put our Truth Transdermal C Serum, which is an anti-aging product, on your baby's diaper rash or on sunburn or on cuts or scrapes. After, and they'll help heal cuts and scrapes. And really, an anti-aging product should be a healing product. If your anti-aging product isn't healing cuts and scrapes, it's not an anti-aging product either because it's the same mechanism. So all my Truth Treatments start out as healing products. They've been repurposed as beauty and anti-aging products. They're all available at truthtreatments.com. I have a podcast called The Rogue Pharmacist, which I do with uh, ASCP, which is only for, not only for, but it's directed for estheticians. I also have another podcast called The Bright Side. Um, I just started doing some YouTubes called uh, uh, called Skin Matters, if you Google Skin Matters. If you just get online and Google my name, you'll get a million things. I am the worst marketer ever, so I don't really... Yeah, I don't even know how to market myself, but I am, I do like to, to, my mission in life is to raise PQ. So I do like to talk to people and I do consultations all the time. So if people have questions, they're, they're welcome to ask me or call me or call my company and, and they'll get, you'll get to me at support at truthtreatments.com. Nice. Thank you so much. It was Thank so you. fun to listen to you. And I hope we get to do this again because there's, I love more, that. I wrote like a ton of questions, but I would love that. I'm well, I don't know about you, but I learned a ton of information today. I am so excited to have done this nutritional skincare episode with Benjamin Knight Fuchs. It was so exciting and he's full of information and I can't wait to interview him again on other topics about nutritional skincare. I'm Cheryl Stroud and you've been listening to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast. You can follow Stroud Skin Institute and Cheryl M. Stroud on Instagram, or visit us at stroudskinstitute.com on the web. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me soon for another Stroud Skin Institute conversation. Thank you for listening.